Like that song says, um, tend your own garden. I know everything. What am I gonna do? I can't believe I'm in this argument. Doesn't the song mean anything? I don't know that I understand. It matters to me that you're impressed. Think of the other girls, but they won't think of you. I think I had a bad sandwich. Daddy! <laughs> Nostalgia. It's delicate. Welcome to Mad Men Men, the weekly show where we discuss a show that used to come out weekly. Each week, we take a close look at an episode of the AMC series Mad Men, which ran from 2007 to 2015. We've been talking about season one, and today marks the last episode of season one, but maybe not the last episode we're talking about season one. But first, let me introduce the crew. As always, I'm your creative director, John Agroni, and uh, he is wandering the podcast studio in his underwear and... His trash can's on fire for some reason. It's Will Ashton. I knew you were going to pick that scene for me. I just knew it. <laughs> There's so many to choose from. I and, knew uh, it. I can't, I can't hear Mike right now because he's in a booth and he's just been like judging me nonstop and making me cry. Uh, oh, hey, Mike Overholz. Hey, guys. Sorry. I'm just on the phone with the, with, with the phone company. She fucking charged me $18. $18 for your phone. I can't even imagine. Uh, that would be like $180, right, for... You know their their phone bill that uh, Francine is getting distressed about, but anyway, we're we're going to talk about we're going to talk about season one, episode thirteen. This is it. This is the finale, and uh, we've been talking about maybe doing one more episode for season one before we move on to season two, where we talk about the season as a whole and maybe rank our favorite episodes. I think that could be fun. Think there'd be some drinks involved. Oh, naturally, naturally. We'd have to do it instead of a, like a, an early Friday. It would have to be a little bit later in the day, probably. But that would be a lot. I, I think that could be cool. But um, yeah, this is the finale. And after this episode, we are officially going to be moving into episodes that Will has never seen before. Right, Will? Because you know, uh, you're fresh to the series, but now we're really going to see you be fresh. I saw the season two premiere. Here, at some oh, point. every time. Every <laughs> like, goddamn time. Quit moving be, the goalposts. Yeah, we're going to season five. He's going to be like, I technically saw this entire season. <laughs> I have not moved the goalposts. I've said from at least episode two of this podcast, I, I saw the second episode at some or the first episode of season two at some point, And I haven't seen anything after that. I don't know what happens. From that point, well, I do have some ideas. I, I've been spoiled on a few things, but trying to protect yeah. you all we can, but uh, it's going to be difficult. Sure, as we continue. my my Twitter timeline, which I don't know if we've actually, I don't know if I told Mike this or not. I just anytime now I see a tweet about Mad Men, no matter if it's good or bad or arbitrary, I just send it to John, acting he like it's like a funny tweet. A lot. <laughs> I just send like several John, a day. Yeah, I just see a bunch of tweets about Mad Men. I was like, yeah, here, I'll send it to John. It's just, it's a running bit. I'm going to do it until the show, this podcast ends. But Or my sanity ends. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> it's going to be a long time. <laughs> oh, God. I think what's some, of them, are, some of them are good. Some of them are good. Um, just says like John Ham's ham. It's not far off from what you're saying. But I think at yeah, some right. point I'm just going to like start searching for Mad Men. Like once I am able to move forward and like know mm-hmm. some spoilers i think i'm just gonna f- search for mad men memes and and tweets and just send them to john at random we're just gonna be, be at old men yeah. yeah i'm gonna be like burt cooper just sitting at my desk yeah just waiting for you to bring them in uh sure. this is the at first least... episode uh oh go ahead mike what's going on you all right i was just gonna say at least you know what will sends you has a through line i get 
literally nothing but random Instagram reels from John. You never, yeah, you never I mean, know when it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. I send them to Will too, but I was going to say you send me some of those too. But there will be like at like two a.m. at night, I'll get like five Instagram reels, and I'm just laying in bed, half awake, <laughs> and it's just like, man, isn't that's going to way. school a bummer? <laughs> it's like, why is John sending me this? It's me putting my hand up to the window, hoping that you uh, that I can speak to you, Will. That's all it is. He's saying, I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is the first episode directed by Matthew Weiner, the show's creator. He co-wrote the episode with Robin Veith, uh, which I think this is the first episode that Robin Veith worked on. I'll double check, but I I don't remember uh, Robin Veith doing any other episodes. It is. I believe the first thing Matthew Weiner ever directed. Didn't he co-direct um, any episodes of Sopranos? He did not direct anything from The Sopranos, at least not okay. officially. Got he it. did. I was looking this up. He did do something in the 90s, which I don't know if it's a film or a student film or like a short film. I'm not exactly sure. I'm trying to load up IMDb on my app. It's being kind of slow. But he did do something that he's credited for in the 90s that I'm not familiar with. And it has like no ratings at all. Mm. Um, but I know before that or after that, he did make his directorial debut. I don't know if have you seen that film, John? No, I have not. Okay. Well, the thing I was talking about before is something from 1996 called What Do You Do All Day? I generally don't know if it's a film or what, but uh, in 2013, I guess near the end of Mad Men, I remember he made a movie called Are You Here? It had another title, but that was what it came out as. And you haven't seen that film, John? No, the the last thing I saw from Weiner was uh, that show he did for Amazon, The Modern the Ro- Love. Oh, not the Romanoffs or whatever? Um, was Romanoffs before that? Am I confusing it, actually? It was Modern Love something totally... I, I, I might think, be thinking of Romanoffs. Yeah, because that was after Mad Men, but this is like during the end of Mad Men's run. Like It was a movie with Amy Poehler and Owen Wilson mm-hmm. and Zach Galifianakis, and it had like a ton of hype because obviously it was Matthew Weiner. That was Weiner? Did you see that movie? I saw that movie. It's I did terrible. see that movie. I didn't it's know a bad it was movie. Him. It's really bad. <laughs> I was going to bring up this. Like, yeah. I mean, I, look, Matthew Weiner is kind of following in the footsteps of Alan Taylor. What are you going to do? Like, well, I, I don't know. I feel like Alan Taylor, generally speaking, has been more mediocre than bad, with the exception of Jenny C's. Uh, but is yeah, it at least I don't know. Bad that in just, an interesting way, then? No, it's just boring. It's just like, it was one of those movies uh. where. There was so much hype going into it. It was like, people were like, is this going to be an Oscar contender? Is this major? And it premieres a Sundance instantly flatlines. Like, I don't even know who picked it up, but like, it got barely a release. And That's I remember sad. just watching it. It was like, ah, it can't be that bad. And I was like, man, this is just a, a total nothing of a movie. What was happening? I'm just, when it just we doesn't finally get, when we finally yeah. get Weiner onto the show and it's yeah. got to happen eventually. Uh, we'll yeah. have to ask him about the play by play that went into the making of that film. Sure. I'm sure it he'll be expecting even gross. it. It didn't even gross a million dollars. Five hundred, just south of six hundred thousand. And you yeah. saw that? Did you see that in the theater, Mike? No, oh. I th- it was like um, back when you could actually go to on demand on Comcast, and they had like the free sure. movie section that was all shitty. That's it was there. Mike loved it. All right, well, I mean, it just better, it's cause... better than Fury Road. <laughs> well, that's not true, but it's just fascinating because like it's not like he like picked it up and like directed it it's like a script he wrote it's like a film he was like involved with creatively and just didn't come together at all i'm surprised you haven't seen it john i'm surprised you're surprised but uh, okay um so yeah uh like we've been alluding to i mean this episode it's it's very highly rated um it is the most highly rated episode of season one on imdb and i i think 
this is the episode, like up until this point, critics liked Mad Men. Critics were like, hey, this is a good show. AMC is coming up. But I think this is the episode that kind of sort of uh, established Mad Men as a big deal for people beyond critics. Uh, because that pitch, the the wheel pitch, is generally, it's considered the best pitch by many people um, in the entire show. It has a few rivals, which we'll get to for sure. Um, you know, I, I have a feeling we're all going to have our own little sneaky favorites, but th- this is the the iconic one. This is the iconic pitch. And I think one of the reasons it's so iconic is because it really just captures the central philosophy of Mad Men, where we're watching this ad executive tap into his own pain, his own trauma, and his own longing in order to make money in the advertising business. And it's just such a tragic scene every time you watch it. It's like you could watch it the first time and get something from it, and then the 12th time, it it's like a game of telephone. It's a completely different scene in a totally different context. And the whole episode builds up to that. And I've got to know what you guys think of it. So, yeah, Mike, I mean, I know I'm starting to, I'm starting to get the feeling you're a fan of Mad Men. Are you a fan of this scene? Uh, yeah, I think generally I like Mad Men. Um, this, so this thing specifically on this watch, what, what struck me was, um, at, and maybe it's because, you know, I, I used to just binge the show. And so you kind of lose a little bit when you're not watching week to week, like we're doing. Um, but going through the whole season, first season and all those times we've talked about of, of Don seeing what it looks like to be in love when at the party, when he sees her through the camera, it's like yeah, for the first time. Off. He's he's seen it himself. He goes, oh, like it's I have it's, that. it's it's I have it. Um, well, and I think that, it's more like, I've had, isn't it? Well, no, because he has. I, I think it. I think he still thinks it's had because he has that fantasy. We'll get to it, right? Mm-hmm. That he's going to go home and the kids are going to be waiting and he picks them up. Um, which spoiler is not playful. The case. Oh. <laughs> right, well. Um, sorry, was I supposed to say something there? Well, I was alluding to I was alluding to something very specific for you, Will. I'm sorry, what was it? Uh, you know, like the thing you sent me where like uh Don like picks up his kids every time he does like the playful Ugh. Oh. Oh yeah, I honestly forgot I sent you that. I, I send you so many <laughs> madmen things that I don't I don't remember all these like That's you sad. Do. That's one of the better ones. But anyway, you were saying Mike. No, I mean it, it's just that I think I think I think it is he thinks he still has it or like once it he's going back to it he's so excited, but I I literally just got a little bit of goosebumps just thinking about it because I mean on the first couple watches I just took it as what it was right a great pitch, um, Don's like really excited about it whatever but yeah connecting it it's just such good writing to connect it to the journey Don's been on the entire season. Do you do you think like this scene plays out differently than you remember, Will, or does it have kind of the same effects? Obviously, it's been years. Uh, no, I think it's been an, about the same effect. I mean, it is fascinating to watch this episode or the scene. I mean, shortly after the first one, where he was contemplating leaving his whole family, like his kids were an afterthought at that moment. Like he was willing to just let it all go away in the pursuit of running away, and he ultimately found some sort of courage. I don't know. I, I think it is true that he is somewhat of a coward still. Like he is, you know, kind of always going to be torn between these multiple identities. I'm sure it's going to be only a greater conflict as the show continues, but yeah, just, it's fascinating to see him go from that moment, only an episode before to this, where he's just like selling himself as like the ultimate family man, the ultimate husband, the ultimate man of the time. And, you know, it's what I find fascinating and sort of tragic about is that like, he's, 
believing in his own lie in that pitch. Like he's starting to kind of like sell himself on himself. And, you know, he seems to kind of buy it in a weird way. And that's what makes the ending really poignant. Poignant, I mean, is that, yeah, he just kind of has to like live in the reality outside of work and being like, oh, yeah, no, like I, I've really done a number on things in my personal mm-hmm. life. I'm not, I'm not the man I profess to be. And I have no family. I mean, Adam is dead. All my other family are no longer there. Betty's kind of getting wise. He doesn't know that to the full extent, but he's probably going to learn it pretty soon. Uh, and yeah, it's just a, I think it's a really no, I think tremendous. He knows it yeah. when he's giving the wheel presentation. Sure. I think the okay. implication is that he chooses to do the pitch that way because at this point he has found out that Betty understands or knows that he's having an affair and this is his reaction um, that he is trying to sort of like what you're saying, sell himself on yourself. Hold on one second. Hey, okay. Hey Mike. Um, I don't know. Will can you, can you, can you say something to him? We need him to be more confident, more bright. Uh, I feel like we should have brought in that person you, you suggested yesterday, Mike. Well, you just got married. Okay. You're glowing. (laughs) Boy. (laughs) I did change my my name to Annie. Is this what inspired the <laughs> this little diatribe? Yeah, but I mean, the folks at home can't see it, but yeah, we'll change his name to Annie. Mine is John Bishop, and Mike I, is Peggy's yeah. unwanted baby. Oh boy, because that is the destiny we have chosen. With Mike is. I mean, I have I have thoughts on <laughs> Peggy's whole thing here, and I have some thoughts on the whole Annie. See, I don't know. If, do you want to talk about either of those right now, or jump to a different topic? Yeah, John. What 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 name do you think is better? We'll start there. Oh boy! <laughs> I think we can pick between we can your do two kids, don't you? Um, yeah. I was going to mention that the episode is interesting in how it starts with three scenes, kind of outlining the three different perspectives of like three men and where they're at in their like work and family life. You start with Pete, sort of being like the prototypical Don, who is like being pushed to have a baby and like you know is newlywed and kind of just sort of is trying to push more into like care more about work it's almost like we get to see like a flashback of dawn in some ways um although it is different of course because betty was pregnant um like before they even got married i think and then we see harry who's just like super sad and it's just kind of like he's like in the middle he's like kind of the in between because he's had his affair and you know his wife won't let him come home and then we get dawn who is of course the older man and is like in that zone of like you know he's just sort of like going through the motions he's fully in that like work is everything you know, and it's also interesting how the the scene shows like Harry's like li- literally living at work, and like how sort of like pathetic he feels for being in that position. But yeah, um, and also it's interesting how the the episode starts with you know Pete kind of being questioned on like, hey, you know, like you know sh- why you need to be tending your garden or whatever, you need to be like building a family. The episode literally ends with Don being alone in a house. You know, we assume he's listening to Bob Dylan in his head. Um, but that's just like, that's not, di- di- that is diegetic, I guess, but we're like, make, maybe mentally. Um, but yeah, well, it's, it's not, a sad episode. It, it's not just that too, but he has the, the, the father has the line where he's saying, you know, all you do is you think about work. Like that's, that isn't what it is all about. Right. So mm-hmm. it's, I would say then you have that perspective too, of someone even older in the industry, longer than Don, he's gone from top salesperson to executive at this big company. And he's saying, Family is where you should be putting your priorities. Work is not going to fulfill you, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so even that perspective with juxtaposed with Don sitting by himself in his empty house is is pretty great. It's fitting then that like Bert literally gives Pete the Ayn Rand book, right? Like kind of solidifying. And, and, yeah, exactly. It's and also, cyclical. I mean, 
you know, it, it's kind of literalized in that one scene where Don is literally like sleeping at the office. Like he can't separate work from his home life. And um, I mean, obviously, um, what's his name was also there. Uh, Harry. Harry was like just wandering around the office as we mentioned before. But yeah, he just cannot like there is no real home life for him. Ultimately, he has to kind of make work his life. He has to make Don be the businessman to have that sense of purpose. But that purpose comes like his, his sense of like what makes him a good businessman is his home life. And you just can't ultimately really have that at this moment. Right. And for but Don, Harry being there, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I say, but Harry being there does, I think spring the great idea and pitch that Don does have. So mm-hmm. in, in a way him, him being there, like it, it does help his career. It does help like, uh, Propel him into that work being everything and being what he has to lean on right now. It seems to help him take his mind off of Adam because that's the direct aftermath of Don finding out that Adam's gone and the revelation, which, you know, has been hinted at, but, you know, we, we couldn't say yet that, yeah, Adam left the money like he didn't spend it all. And because it ultimately to- he didn't care about money, he didn't care mm-hmm. about being Don or being successful. He cared about his brother. I mean, not only did he leave it, the money went to the city, which I find to be a kind of interesting idea that, like, you know, Don spends so much time in the city. He's, like, trying to, like, make this home life, but he never really leaves the city. The city is his home. So, in a way, the money kind of going to the city is a sort of bitter irony and a fitting one, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely, like, it's definitely on the nose um, in a good way. And there, I think there are three main sections to this episode that all kind of like play with these themes. I mean, we have like, I think the Don Pete Harry stories kind of revolving around each other. We have all the stuff with Betty, which I think is that, but it's also tapping into, I think the payoff of her character arc in this season of all, all throughout the season, everyone has been sort of belittling her and infantilizing her. And this episode is about her sort of, you know, Betty strikes back. And then the, the third thing is Peggy in this episode, Peggy has her arc kind of culmination which is huge for her. You know, we're finally going to get rid of that terrible fat suit. I, I really, really, it's like my least favorite thing about season one. That yeah. Did up the prosthetics and the, it's just, it, it's not great. I, yeah, I was going to say the first time I saw this as a teenager, I was uh, not a fan of the whole idea that Peggy's accidentally pregnant storyline. Granted, I don't think I was really chalking it up to the whole, like, this is two years time. So I, I don't think I was, checking that timeline as thoroughly as i would have now but i still think it's kind of just silly in my view like the idea that she would just like not know but that happens all the time i know i know it happens it's actually not uncommon (laughs) i know it's not uncommon i just think for peggy it's just kind of silly i don't know i mean i there there was the whole thing where i think that uh the show sort of implies or maybe suggests that this happened because uh she didn't um follow the warnings of like the birth control in like the first episode. Uh, I forget exactly how all of that plays out, but yeah, there is something to be said about how Peggy is like so fixated on her work life and trying to sort of like move into like the next trajectory that she wants to be in that she's not even noticing, you know, what's happening with her body perhaps. Yet again, another perspective on the cyclical cycle of what's happening at, in this show, right? You're getting, the, the line that Joan says to Peggy when she's heading to her office of, you know, just because you have a door now, don't forget what it was like before you had one, you know, happens, what, five minutes before we see Don alone in his empty house? Like, I think that was, for the audience, speaking more towards Don, and look look, look, look what's happened. He, he had what he thought the dream was, and uh, it's all gone. 
it's gone. Well, I mean, it's gone and it's not right. It's like, I, I think like this episode more than any other rewatch, I think, I do think that like watching it week to week instead of a binge has really opened up, has opened my eyes to a lot of things I've missed before. One of them being how frankly, like miserable Don really is in his marriage. I guess like I, because I go, I would watch the series like so quickly. I never really got that sense that like he is looking for an exit in this marriage, like actively looking for an exit. And specifically in this scene, I think this is what establishes that like, he's not ready to like exit. And he's starting to sort of like reckon with, you know, really like his own, like we've already said, his own uh, dogma on what it means to have like a family and to have longing. And I think Adam's death kind of shakes that in him more than anything else, honestly. And I think like being under the actual threat of like my wife knows that I'm having an affair and you know, that this is very fragile. Like I, like I think the reality of him actually losing it is starting to freak him out a bit. Um, yeah, there's a lot to say here. I was going to mention, by the way, too, the, he mentions nostalgia in this, uh, it's a very memorable quote from the show, you know, nostalgia is delicate, but potent. Um, and I think it's interesting how he says like the Greeks had an old term for nostalgia. And I was like, Hey, wait a second. Don, you sound like a valedictorian, you know, it was like criticizing Peggy a couple episodes ago for the the Latin use for the rejuvenator, which is now the relaxizer. Um, I thought that was a little bit of funny irony that Don did that. Right. Yeah. I mean, but that's, that's, uh, you know, you've, we've all had bosses that don't follow their own advice, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I was going to say, hold on. You're telling me that Don Draper is a hypocrite. <laughs> I have other revelations to impart. <laughs> this is who, who knows why people do what they do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That Mike. whole scene. I mean, I, I really got to get to the Francine scene. Um, probably the, the actress's pro, the Francine spelled a certain way. <laughs> yeah. Probably her finest moment in the show. I, th- I think like, Oh my gosh, the way she laughs at Betty when she's like, maybe it's a caterer. Maybe he's going to throw you a party. That was the other thing I was thinking of being like, oh, hey, Will, sorry, sorry we started the show so late. I was, uh, you know, working on a planning you a surprise party. That's definitely going to happen. Um, yeah. But I didn't want to make yeah. you sad. Get your hopes up. Sure. I mean, yeah, I, I do love in this moment that, that little scene where she's just like, well, I thought you would know. <laughs> and then Betty yeah, yeah. Like I thought honest. you know what to do. I need to right. know. And just like, like the daggers. Well, she, yeah. Her eyes sent her. Yeah. It's just and it's such, such a. a yeah, it's so ironic considering how like I think Helen Bishop is the real hero of the season doesn't even show up in this episode. But like just thinking back on that episode where they're all sort of being so petty about Helen and just being like, huh, she's divorced. And they're in this situation where like they can't get divorced, you know, I mean, unless they can prove adultery and they're in a they're both in like a serious bind. I mean, did you uh did you think it was sincere when Betty said that Francine's like a sister to her? No. Okay. But I wasn't sure if that was like another thing that I, that's what I thought, but I wasn't sure if that was another thing where it's supposed to underline that like Don is so clueless about his wife that he wouldn't know about Francine if, if she was particularly close with Betty. Like it wouldn't be I mean, be I think that they're, that- they are close. They do have like a relationship that's like similar to sisters in a way, but sure. like, I think the the show, you could even look at a direct contrast to, the openness of the sisters, uh, Rachel and her sister, right. you know, that we've seen before and how that's a totally different dynamic from Francine and Betty. I feel like Francine and Betty are more like frenemies. 
I, I think that is how it actually is. I, I think that Betty does think they're close, like, sisters, though. And it's supposed to show, like, how, like, unaware in her, like, dream world Betty is that she can't understand what real friendships and sisterhoods are like. But this is the closest semblance she has, and so she will just attach that relationship to it um, and, like, expect what comes with, like, the power of those titles or closeness. I guess I just don't get that same sense. I just get the sense that she... Because she even says to Dawn, it's just like, I don't get why my family can't be your family. And like, I don't know, the way that she treats her family is so different to me than the way she treats Francine. I always got this sense that she like, I don't know, doesn't have that I, attachment, but that could just be my read. I mean, this episode really enunciates the whole idea. Like Betty is, I mean, we've talked about this before, but Betty is like a child at heart. And I feel like she lives in this giant playhouse and like everyone, including the people in our lives are sort of these play things. And so to her, it can be almost interchangeable. Like, yes, it's like, She's like a sister to me, like this friend of mine, just because, you know, to her, anything can have a little bit of meaning because like, it's like she has everything and she has nothing at the same time. So I just find I think, though, that the point is that like she is smarter than that, that, that she may hold some of that up as an aesthetic. But like she even says like Don, she says to Dr. Wayne, like Don doesn't even know what family is. And I, I, I don't know. I, I have a harder time reconciling that like. I think the whole the whole season is trying to get that across. But then she says, like, adults don't know anything, you know, and like the way that she's being treated here is like she's not so different from everybody else. And also like the you know, there's even this part of Don's pitch where he's just like, you know, seeing the the world the way that a child does. I think that he starts to sort of like come to the recognition that like Betty is an adult, an adult woman who, you know, he's been disrespecting and taking for granted. And I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess for me, like when you look at the therapy scene, because I do think you're right. And I think there there is that moment where like Betty always sort of knew that Don was cheating on her, that everything in her life was sort of built upon this lie of her marriage. But I, I do find myself kind of looking at that scene in one of two ways. Like one is that her like recognizing something in herself that she always known and like kind of like being her own therapist when her therapist wasn't being there for her and just kind of like being her own sort of like compass and her conscience. But I'll see is her trying to like kind of stick it to her therapist. You know, at that moment, obviously she uh, had known about the calls like that. She had known that she had been uh, or the therapist had been more direct with Dawn, her husband than with her. So she's just kind of like trying to stick Collusion. it to the therapist. Right. Yeah. So she's just kind of like, you know, like I'm not like this, you know, bimbo that's from the suburbs or whatever like i know these things like i'm smarter than you think or whatever i, I feel like because like you know like when she like stands up that one moment he like he doesn't really like flinch but he's like kind of taken aback mm-hmm. just when she like grabs her cigarette i i, I really like, like that oh, moment oh shit right it's just like this like moment where she like, kind of like finally sticks it to this like you expect she's gonna have like a therapist. catchphrase you know where she's just like you bet he believe it he's just like oh yeah. god oh shit uh but no i mean i don't know is that is anything I'm saying making sense or is that anything? That well, you're yeah, thinking I was about? definitely going to bring all that up. I mean, and okay. it's a stroke of like Betty just being a badass. I mean, like the whole thing where she's, you know, it, it reminds me too, like where Harry is talking about like the reaching through to people. She, this is her way to get to Don. It's like sort of through a wheel through like a time machine of like through to Arnold Wayne going backwards and forwards to Don. And it's like her figuring out that puzzle. And then Don, of course, you know, speaking to her through a pitch, you know, and through a daydream. It's just like, ah, the way it all comes together, I think is actually pretty brilliant. Can we talk about when she called the doctor though, and the way that was framed? Yeah. The way that she's like, like relieved at first, but then horrified. This is Dr. Arnold or even, Wayne. 
just even visually, like the cut from her, like looking in bed, but like now she's crisscross applesauce on the ground. Yeah, it looks like, like a little kid. It looks like a little kid, like about like. But this is the moment where she's gonna leave that like little kid. I'm in my in my head dreams, like trying to hang on to this marriage to. I'm badass, Betty. He's having she comes an affair. Of age. Yeah. Well, Glenn helped her. Give her bravery. <laughs> yeah, that's like when she walked out of the parking lot. I was just like, look around the world. You know, it was a whole moment. Um, that you know, more creepy Glenn stuff. Um, which we had to get at least one more <laughs> Glenn scene before. Uh, she's like, is it the last one? I'm so sad of the season. I mean, I mean, we definitely shouldn't gloss over that Glenn scene and just how. I mean. Obviously, I don't. Disturbing. I don't think it's well. Sure, it's it's obviously disturbing, but just the the layers upon like going on behind the scenes too. Just like how can we make this dynamic creepier? Let's have mm. Matthew Wire direct it. <laughs> but literally, nice. like you know, he's like, I'm I'm not supposed to talk to you. Says who? My mother and my father, you Matthew Weiner. Oh, I I mean, yeah. just my mother and father. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think I I don't remember his son's name, but I don't think he's a bad actor in this. Moment, I actually think it's kind of a no, pretty I don't, nice scene. I don't scene think anybody's accused him of that, right? Okay, I don't know. The way you said that made it seem like he was, you're acting like he's not really acting, but I, I think I, you mean yeah. in the sense of like there are layers upon layers of like what's yeah, going yeah. on. And yeah, do you think he like grew up and like one day just like dapped up his dad and was like, hey, I didn't totally understand what you're setting me up for, but I really appreciate it now that you know I have hormones and you know did all these things. Thank you so much for this opportunity to uh, watch this pretty woman pee. And then hold her hair in hand. His name is Martin Holden Weiner. I mean, maybe this is his own little carousel. He's putting his family into the show. The personal and the professional are he coming together. He wants a time machine. He wa- he's like, I wish I could be older. Yeah. Right? There you go. What kind of sandwich are you eating, Mike? Is it a pastrami like you New Yorkers? It's um, the same sandwich that Betty had that got her pregnant. <laughs> you mean Peggy or wait, which sandwich got... Betty. This, this ain't right. Betty. I'm at, I'm at Peggy. Well, she was already Peggy. pregnant at that point, right? She's like, oh, I have a ham sandwich. and You know what? That, that cheese yeah. Danish, the one in the back. Well, I was also mentioning just she goes to the doctor because she says, oh, I think I had a bad sandwich. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, I caught her pregnant. <laughs> now I get it. Um, okay, so then I, I Duck Phillips, got to give him a quick mention. Um, he's kind of starting to show a little bit more of his like no one's going to like me energy um, is like the first person who gives me a, you know, a client gets a hundred dollar bonus. And, you know, he's kind of like, I don't know. He's just, uh, we've had that boss. Haven't we? He's just like, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. I want you to, I was in the steam room for an hour and a half. It's like, dude, that's kind of, it's not, it's not just that he's, you know, it's not, we've all had that boss. It's specifically, when you have like a new supervisor, like VP level mm-hmm. come in. Um, and it's like, I've seen it happen one of two ways where they spend like a whole quarter observing and trying to understand the system and how they can fit into it to like critique systems. And the other one is like big dick on the table. Like I'm going to overhaul everything, like intimidate you all. This is how it's going to go. And like that second way sucks, but obviously yeah. it's the sixties and probably more, more, often to happen yeah the look on ken cosgrove's face when he's like having to look through the thing like that was a look on my face for sure but yeah um you know it's a pretty clear like drive of the episode like it's what prompts pete of course to bring a new business through his father-in-law and uh, there's that striking moment where he breaks the news that he gets clear cell to don and like 
you can kind of tell just Don is just a little bit like, man, it must be nice to be you that you could just sort of like bring in, you know, you just have all the luck in the world, you know, like through your connections and everything. And, uh, yeah, it, it's like, he's well, not done, you know, he has everything, but Don's approval. And that's very important to him. He's like, what, what's the line exactly to me that it yeah. does. He's yeah. like, I want, it means a lot to me that this impresses you. It's like, yeah. Can you stop slobbering all over Don's desk? Like Jesus Christ. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, he, Don does have uh, the power once more, you know, yeah. after last week's episode, he kind of wants his, his head. he wants daddy's approval in one way or another. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah. And I, I mean, I do want to kind of talk about the weirdness of Trudy's dad always just being like, yeah, so you two fucking yet? <laughs> yeah, I want to kill Yeah, this Have turkey roast is delicious. Yeah, you know what else is? <laughs> it is pretty weird. It's very uncomfortable. I mean, oh, I'm I... there with Allison Reed where she's like, daddy. Daddy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Why? Yeah. She, they're always fucking over, though. Like... <clears throat> How often is Trudy bringing her goddamn parents over? Yeah, it's like, if, you know, if she wants a kid, I mean, that's not exactly like a mood booster, you know, but sure. Okay. Um, it's it's obviously serving a function of, you know, like we've already discussed, but yeah, there is a lot of like, you know, it's the 60s. Yeah, it's like, you know, it, all that matters is like having a kid. It is kind of showing the extreme of that a little bit, right? It's like, I know, Mike, you were kind of talking it up a bit. He's like, hey, you know, this this matters more, but there is also the excessive, you know, side where it's like, if that's all that matters, then you kind of end up in the situation where you build up the facade where Francine and Betty are sort of being victimized, where they're in situations that they can't easily get out for the sake of their own happiness. And we don't see Trudy's perspective from that. I don't think that she's really having that thought process at the moment, but certainly, you know, it's something to look out for because it, it was unfortunately a very common thing back when divorce was, you know, we, they only had at fault divorces at this point especially in states like New York. So, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely just hammering home that, like, the family unit was everything in the 60s and that society was built around it and you weren't anything until you had it, right? Yeah. Um, The audition. We got to talk about Peggy. uh, Just, you know, destroying this woman. Um, I've gone back and forth a lot on, like, what's driving this. You know, there's the obvious, I think, angle to it where... Because Peggy even says, it's like, you put on a few pounds, you know, like kind of like evoking a little bit of like the woman sort of being the ideal and that's how she selects her. And like Ken kind of, you know, that little thing he says about how, you know, oh, that, you know, Rita, you know, doesn't have to be like, you know, she's confident in her voice, but like Annie isn't because she's never had to be. Uh, What what was your take on that, though? Because this is certainly something that I go back and forth on in terms of how I wrap my head around it. All right, so first, real talk. When does Ken stop being a piece of shit? <laughs> you see points of it, right? There's there's little there's little edges that are smoothening. His heart, we can fix him, Will. I mean, outside of the one episode, I feel like he's just been like a chode in every episode this season. You're like, oh, he's Ken, not the worst, I love him. He's a great guy. <laughs> and he's just like, yeah, I screw over this woman, and I'm just a horn dog. Like, you're just like, ah, classic Ken. But even in this episode, you can kind of see that he is more even keeled than a lot of the other guys at the office. I mean, you know? at the very least, I think he's willing to look at Peggy as an equal in a way that I feel like the other guys in the office, like, are yeah. like Paul Kinsey he, he and, yeah. Mm-hmm. He he backs Don when Don gives her clear sill. He what? He, he goes backs, yeah. Oh, backs he, he, Don. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
I think you should have seen her in that booth. Don. It's like he bathes him. What are you talking about? He bats Don. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, he, Ken is a very you know he's a complicated guy, Will, but we just gotta we'll fix him. You know, yeah. he'll come around. He's a nice like what like, uh, Betty says about Don. He's he's a good guy on the inside. It's just that hard exterior of his, I guess. There you go. Yeah, he's a little bit more similar to Don than maybe some people. I don't know. Mm. Um, but yeah, so but back to the Peggy thing. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's brutal, you know, where she brings this woman to tears and like, you know, I never thought it would happen to me. Like that line like echoes, right? Like where she just, it's like almost like a horror kind of thing where she's like, like you're having a panic attack basically in the booth. I love this scene a lot. You know, it really just sums up so much of like, you know, it ties back to the Betty thing of like trying to put on a performance and, but you're being told by the people kind of rising up in this generation. Nope, nope, nope. You're not doing it right. Nope, nope. And it's, there's just some, something so incisive about it that I can't get over, honestly. Yeah. I mean, it, I think it's twofold in terms of like how kind of tragic it is in a way. Cause like, obviously Annie's just trying her best and she really nailed it in the audition. So you can see from Peggy's perspective, like, yeah, she is the better of the two. But, you know, Ken, I think somewhat gently is just kind of like, hey, we should go with uh, Rita. Rita's her name, right? The other lady. Yeah, yeah, Rita. Even though she her addition wasn't quite as strong, like she she has that kind of moxie that they're looking for. And they think she does have she seems a little bit more experienced in it. But I think Peggy can see something in herself in Annie, the way she's able to be confident without the experience, able to kind of push herself forward in a business and like kind of propel, but then you get to audition, she's flailing and not only is Annie flailing, but subsequently Peggy is flailing because she can't get this quite right. And she's trying to direct her, but she's also trying to be the boss and her experiences about being the boss come from men. So she doesn't quite have the gentle touch that, you know, even Ken's like, what the hell are you doing? Like, you know, let her down easy, please. You know, when yeah, she you fires go in her. there, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I don't know. It's just a tragic scene. I feel for Annie. I, I really yeah. do. We're setting up some really great material, though, for Peggy moving forward in the show and her sort of finding her, you know, that balance of like, I do think that she is influenced by, you know, male attitudes and is trying to like take them on. You know, she's sort of the anti-Betty in that respect. But obviously that has its downsides, you know, and severe downsides in how that affects her behavior. John, you were primarily with like visual assets right have you ever done like any audio assets like this for any type of marketing campaign audio assets no not really I, all the audio stuff i do is like podcasting like we're, we're doing right now check out yeah, mad was, men men on the young folks.com i was gonna say i mean i feel like <laughs> annie fun. i can i can relate to dear annie because it's like john's like yeah i can see this will guy being a good co-host of a podcast <laughs> those first few episodes he's like you're not bringing that moxie you brought the now conspiring it's like i'm trying jonathan i'm trying to review john wick chapter two i'm trying he's like no you gotta bring that moxie that you brought to swiss army man it's like i'm trying john what do you want me to do be confident will is just like i never thought it would happen to me <laughs> Asking for pineapple juice for the cold in the throat. Yeah. There's there's water in the corner. Water on the side of the corner. Yeah, yeah. it's toilet water. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. By the way, we can't let it slide. And, uh, oh, well, I don't want to move on to Carla, um, the new nanny, uh, until Mike has had his piece. But did, did you have anything to add, Mike? I know you just took a big bite of a sandwich, so I can. I'm so fascinated. I have so many meetings after we record this. It's like, I have to eat now or I will not eat until four. Well, just tell me he's, what sandwich it is. I just want to know. He's putting his work before the podcast, Will. It's, you hate oh. to see it. 
So fitting. Well, yeah, you know. of course I am. Well, you I know, got, it, it I is. got my father-in-law breathing down my neck about <laughs> fucking his daughter. I got my wife trying to fuck the neighbor's kid. You know, there's a I, lot happening right now. I was going to say God that, damn. Mike, you're blending the personal life with the professional life. Like, you're just trying to, you know, make the two marinate together like a nice sandwich. And, I'm really uh, doing this from from the office. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> what kind and, of sandwich is it, though? You, you're kind of okay, you're teasing it's, us. It's a, it's a Jersey Mike. It's like number nine or whatever. It's turkey. You're Mike feet, eating a Jersey Mike? Wait, is this from uh, what's, what's Five Guys? What's, what's for dessert, No, Mike? it's from Jersey Mike's. Are oh, Jersey have... Mike. Oh, okay. Mike and Ike's for dessert? <laughs> John, you make puns off of your name more than anybody I've ever met in my life. <laughs> you literally exclusively order Negronis when we go out to drink. <laughs> I do not want to fuck near it. I would say exclusively, but it is an excessive amount. That's true. <laughs> do you like Negronis? I thought you didn't like them. I don't really like Negronis, but you I don't just, know. My wife thinks it's really it. funny. And I, okay. I try to like find one that's good. Sometimes they're good. You know what? You know what's better than Negroni is a Boulevardier, which is literally just a Yeah, we had that at the wedding. But, yeah, I love them. They're so good. Yeah, they're Anyways. Good. Anyway. Okay, yeah. Is that the Negroni you had at the wedding? Uh, it is. Okay. Remember that listener, that commenter who said that they hate when we talk about our personal lives in You're the right, podcast? Doing Let's this. talk about it more. <laughs> some more. <laughs> Let's talk about John's wedding and what I remember from it, which is not much. <laughs> I, w- <laughs> I was going to say one thing I really appreciate about, um, and I know I, was, I brought up Carla, Carla sighting. Um, she's definitely a character I really like. Uh, so we get like one little quick thing with her in this. And then I, w- I was going to mention like in terms of like Don's pitch and everything. I love this episode because I know people tend to look at like Nixon, Kennedy, and they're like, oh, that's the climax. What's brilliant, I think, about the wheel is that it's exploring how the stakes for Don aren't really about his secret affecting his work because we find out that like Burt Campbell doesn't care. It, it really doesn't have much bearing where it's going to sort of erode at Don is through just him as a person losing Adam, potentially losing Betty. And this episode sort of like sums up, I think like the main character conflict for Don and that's just his feeling that he's not enough and that his soul is broken. You know, and this secret is killing him, but not in the way that I think he fears the most. And that's what I'm excited to see explored more in future seasons. If it is, I don't know for sure, because I wouldn't spoil you, Will Ashton, on the themes of episodes future. So I'm not a carousel, not a time machine. How do you think Don is doing so far, like as a partner? Do you feel like the show's hinting at it like eating at him and being more stressed is he enjoying it what do you what, what's your read? i think he's i think he's doing fine um you know brought in duck and sort of like you know dealt with the peep crisis and the code acting is successful but i think that he's treating work as an escape right now i think that he's using it to get away from his problems at home problems at home or problems uh that are on a ship to uh visit paris what he's talking about Rachel. Yeah, Rachel. That opening scene. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He misses her. You know, she's she's his buddy. Well, I mean, she was his confidant. You know, she was the woman that was uh, kind of, in some ways, his equal in some respects, willing to chew him out, speak him out, yeah, chew him out like that nice sandwich that Mike was having a moment ago. I think we mentioned uh, an episode or two ago. uh, I wasn't sure about this yet, and I got some confirmation um, that season two had not been greenlit yet by the time they were filming the wheel. So 
they were making this as like this could have been the series finale and i think it would have worked as a series finale actually quite well um you know it doesn't tie up everything but it certainly ties up the the main story beats of season one in my opinion yeah i mean i think that yeah. makes sense yeah i think that the only thing it, you would leave wanting is is what's going to happen with peggy right it seems like her journey is just starting but it, yeah. it would answer everything else <clears throat> but then it's interesting you know spoil not trying to spoil season two but like you know if this was a season finale and what you would assume would happen for like the rest of their lives and then actually knowing what happens because I've seen the rest of the series, very interesting. We can tell you if you want, Will. I mean, you can tell me, but would you risk telling the listeners? <laughs> I was going to say there's not enough Joan Holloway in this episode, so it's not a perfect Mad Men episode, and there's no Roger. So high praise and, for this episode that it's as good as it is without John Slattery. And barely any sell. Yeah, did we get anything with Sal? What did we get with There's him? There's two scenes. He's in the, the room during the carousel scene, and he's he in Don's office uh, when he promotes Peggy. That's not I don't enough. Think he, I think he says, like, a line. Yeah, he's just part of the, like, chorus of, like, people congratulating Don, like, oh, he's still on the roll. Ah, good <laughs> <Of> course. <on> now. <laughs> he's going to keep it coming. He's going to be the man. <laughs> yeah. I uh, read a thing, uh, a potential story beat they had in mind for this. If uh, they were p- thinking of killing off Harry Crane, apparently in this. Yeah. Uh, it was going to be the recreation of the, the opening, right? Yeah. So like it was going to allude to that. And then it would be like a way to sort of end the, the series would be with, with Harry Crane's death. But apparently, you know, Rich Summer did a great job in the role as far as Weiner and them were concerned. So, they brought him back for season two. Spoiler alert for that. You're going to see him again. Um, I mean, yeah. what is it with these AMC guys like trying to kill prominent characters in season one? Like Vince Gilligan was going to kill off Jesse Pinkman in season one, but it didn't because of the writer's strike. Matthew Weiner was going to kill off Harry. Like, what's the deal with all this stuff? The bloodthirsty over at AMC. I don't know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, you thought Game of Thrones, you know, when we were safe. But yeah. Yeah. You were to say something, Mike? You can't yeah, I was gonna say you just can't have you can't have two suicides in like a span of three episodes to end your series. I don't know. I'm no, glad that is a lot. Things. Yeah, that's a lot to deal with. You know, um, it was the late 2000s. It was an edgier time culturally. You know, people were they wanted to be shocked. You know, on their entertainment. Yeah. I have uh, some trivia to go through. Well, if you guys are ready to go, I was gonna Ooh. say about the carousel. Do you guys remember? I was trying to find them, but like that became like a YouTube meme. For a little bit. Well, I mean, it works, right? Because I think um, one of the trivia things I had is that they didn't know that they were going to do like the Kodak thing. And they also didn't know they were going to use the uh, the pictures that Don okay. has. So like they're looking at a blank projector screen during that entire scene. Yeah. But I just remember like I, I tried to find some videos. I only found like one with like Honey Boo Boo, which wasn't very good. Uh, but like that used to be like a YouTube meme where like people would put different images instead of Don's like family. It would be like different things for him. Like nostalgia is a powerful thing, which is a funny. <laughs> I, I think they should bring that back because I think it's a funny idea for a we meme. We should do it. We should. Uh, it. Yeah, it was kind of similar to like when Breaking Bad, like that. Uh, and these ones are still around. I could find them pretty easily. Like when uh, Walt gives Hank like the video, it's like. There were some memes about that video, I remember. It was going for a similar thing, but I don't know. I can't find them. I, I think that needs to be a meme that comes back, though. That's my opinion. Speaking of memes, I, I did think it was funny how like heavy he was hitting on nostalgia. It's like, oh, wow, this is the best pitch in Mad Men, which it is. Uh, and then just like how fucking heavy nostalgia has been in our lives for like the last seven years. Like to the point, you know, it's 
it's a bad cultural phenomena, I think, when South Park starts to parody it, parody it and like South Park with the men, you, you guys see the member berries, you know what I'm talking about? That was sure. the last full season I watched of South Park. Yeah. Member? Yeah. Do you remember your family? Like that. (laughs) (laughs) So I just, I just, I just think uh, again, but Matthew Weiner and Madman being kind of ahead of its time and kind of calling a shot on like how big uh, nostalgia was going to be as a marketing tool. uh, Yeah. I mean, what was the biggest movie of the summer this year? Top Gun Maverick, which is like Mm -hmm. nothing but nostalgia for like two hours. It's great. It's a great movie. I mean, that's kind of what IP is based upon. It's like, hey, we can guarantee that people are going to go see a movie if they mm. know the characters, they love them, and there's like a guaranteed audience that people are going to come to it. But I was going to say, as far as Mad Men is concerned, wasn't like the first seat, like before it became such a critically acclaimed and must watch show, like the marketing was very much, I thought, heavily leaning on the nostalgia aspect. Right. Oh, it was like, Men, oh, like the 1960s. Like, welcome back. Right. Yeah, like like it's the early 1960s, you know, back when mm-hmm. things were simpler, things made sense. The nostalgia the was, also yeah. of like, you know, Sopranos is over, but, you know, the people who made it are back. So like tapping into the nostalgia of like trying out a new show, a prestige Which, show like this. It's kind of fast because like Sopranos, especially towards the end, is so about the present. Like the idea that like the American dream is so dead, like it wasn't really around. Like the idea that these guys are kind of chasing this fallacy. Like there's like, even in like the criminal underworld like there's no real like money to seek and it's just yeah it's just i feel it's kind of fascinating that these two complement each other but also stand out so starkly against each other i forget mike if you watched sopranos i don't know if you talked about it oh i i love the Sopranos. i probably like the sopranos more than like mad men if i'm being honest (laughs) i think that's where that's tough to hear but you know i know that's where you and john disagree but is that where you and i agree We'll see. We'll find out on I don't know. the I next will say, 90 episodes or no, I guess we have like 80 episodes or in, in 79. I don't remember. I mean, I will say, I think the first season of Mad Men is stronger than the first season of Sopranos. I think every I, season of Mad Men is stronger than every season of Sopranos, except for, I think it was uh, season four of Sopranos. Four? Or, uh, no, the one actually you four, know is, four is kind of a weaker season. Probably four is the one with Columbus Day and like, yeah, the, yeah. yeah. Five I just watched s- it for the first time, okay? Yeah. Well, so did I. <laughs> uh, I think you're talking about either five or like yeah, the end binged, of six. See, but I binged it. Uh, yeah, I think I'm talking about but, the end of six. And the difference between John saying he's seen it one time and you saying you've seen it one time is that John means one time and you mean like, yeah, I'm like basically three times. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I forgot like- to mention that. <laughs> um, well, on a different note, do you guys actually think that Don would be a fan of Bob Dylan? No comment. No fucking way. Okay. Uh, well, you were saying before that that's like the song that's playing in Don's head. But I'm like, would, I feel like Don would reject Bob Dylan. It's like, yeah, what I is was, this ratchet? I was being a bit facetious and okay, okay. a little goofy. Um, I, I didn't realize that. Because I don't know. I mean, like, I feel are, like his soul might like it. Like, he, there's a part of him that yeah, can't yeah. relate to him. But I feel like he would never, or, like, he would never outwardly say it. And then, like, I feel like he'd listen to, like, one Bob Dylan album. Be like, yeah, it's pretty good. Then, like, he'd listen to three more. And it's like, what is, what's going on? Well, I, okay. I will say. And I love Bob Dylan. Don's I mean, I love music Bob. taste does get explored later in the show. Oh, okay. And there is a very like specific thing happens at a long time from now that makes me think right now, no. But I would speculate, and I'll defend it later, that I think that he's a Bob Dylan fan later in the 60s. Oh, based on one thing, and I actually have a really good piece of evidence that that is the intent. Mm. Um, but uh, so I can't look say. Forward, I, look forward to that. I, I look forward to Mike learning knows. about 
I, I, before, I totally understand yeah. where you're going, John. Yeah. Yeah. I will have to we'll have to chat off offline yeah. so Will doesn't get Can't, sullied. Yeah, I, I I can look forward to learning about Don's music tastes, how he lost his virginity, his history <laughs> with drugs and alcohol, his John, crippling John, marriage. Let, let's just let's just tell him. Don invents SNL. Wow. <laughs> it's right like sex, but new. <laughs> The ultimate marketing tool. Oh wait, I'm S&M. sorry. I thought you said S and M. I mean that too to an extent. Even better. Well, yeah, sometimes I mean Betty yeah. says he he likes to make love like it's not for her. Yeah, but I, I was imagining like Don pitching S and M like it's like sex. I forgot that he has that whole thing where it's like it's like somebody. What if else. you could have? What if you could wear clothes during sex? I'm just glad Betty doesn't have that conversation with Glenn. You know about her sex life with Don. Yeah, uh, that scene's already kind of weird as it is, and I think it's a it's a touching scene, but also very very weird. I know, but the point is, we don't want it to be a touching scene. Well, Jesus, oh yeah, Glenn right. wanted it to be a touching scene. Ayo. So, are we ready for some trivia, or do you guys have any last last? This is the last call. Um, no, let's do it. And what are the ground rules? Do we buzz in? Do is it both of us answer? Oh no, it's just trivia. I'm going. It's not like a true or false, nothing like that. We're not. It's not a game show. God, I'm just giving so, you some okay. trivia points. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Read me IMDb. Have okay. Trudy and, and Pete actually had sex? I'm assuming they have at some point. Yeah, of course. But, but okay. Why wouldn't they? Yeah, uh, did, well, I mean... And it, Viagra it, Falls. I, well, I meant like <laughs> after the honeymoon. Like, it seems like they're like... Don't really get along anymore. Pete's so business-oriented that, you know... I feel like the show not sleeping. Hmm. I'm not I, I mean, it's possible that they aren't having it, like, at, you know, a normal amount for, like, what they expect i guess I, I don't know the show doesn't really point it out either way so we, i guess we could only speculate i guess yeah like just like uh trudy's dad <laughs> <laughs> i mean if, if you ask him they're you know they're doing it like right now like while he's in the other room and you need uh, to lay that seed kid like we geez. get it <laughs> daddy <laughs> her delivery of that, that um okay so trivia um so when you're in the voice casting session, the audition where you have like Annie and you have Rita, the woman on the far left uh, of the center is actually one of the writer assistants on the show. I couldn't get her name. She was an intern. But when I first read that, I was like, oh, is that the co-writer of the episode, Robin Fife? Because Robin Fife was a writer assistant for the show. Uh, but I could not get confirmation for that. So maybe maybe we could fact check that later. But yeah, that fun little aside there. Um, Can we just so, fact check it by looking at her face? Is her face on the internet? Um, you could look it up all you want. Um, there is uh, so that line that Don has in the episode where he's talking to Harry, and uh, you know, great scene. I mean, I don't think we talked about it enough, but like, it's a really, really touching scene. One of the few times where like Harry Crane, I d- I don't hate him, but uh, you know, he's describing the like the, the thing that the that they're doing, the, like the the signature of the artist thing, which is what Don says that they're like adding to like the, the handprints. And he says, uh, according to John Hamm, the original line was Mark of the shaman, but John Hamm himself changed the line to signature of the artist, because according to him, he's like, you know, I just don't think Don would say something like that. And it, it was one of the first indications that like Don, uh, John Hamm had, was I almost said Don Hamm. He was really starting to inhabit the role and have a lot of like creative ownership over you know signature of the artist <laughs> over don draper and i think that's really cool i think it's really cool how he, especially in this season he finds don draper you know such a nebulous and elusive character 
I think John Hamm has way more to do with the creation and execution of that character than some people might give him credit for. Got another thing here. So I don't know, you know the, the scene where Betty is going up to Glenn. I, I replayed the scene several times because I did not believe this point of trivia, but the hedges behind um, them is like CGI. Like, like they actually use CGI to make it look like like winter, basically, because it was over 100 degrees when they shot that scene, which is amazing to me. Like, I rewatched it and I was like, I would not have guessed that like Betty and Glenn are in a hu- over 100 degree weather and like their coats and stuff like that. But sure enough, that's that's how that was shot. So that was pretty cool. Man, yeah, that must have been a excruciating shoot. Yeah. Um. Another thing that I think that they did for the better, we didn't really mention like Harry walks out of the carousel scene crying, um, but the original, you know, part of that scene or like the original idea of the scene was that he was supposed to be crying throughout. So they were supposed to be cutting back to him, like crying and then back to Dawn and then the projector. But they, of course, changed it. I think for the better that it's not until the very end. And then it's also, I think, telling because I didn't I didn't realize it until this watch that it's actually really cool how like we only see Dawn throughout the pitch and at the very end is when we see the reaction from the ad executives and i think that's a very powerful way to do it because your focus isn't on their ongoing reaction it's just on don and yeah i i I love like how it finishes like that like somebody comes out of the room crying it's like it's like the ultimate like wish fulfillment pitch it's like what every ad person wishes their pitch would you know the way their pitch would go you know change somebody's life the button of good luck in your next meetings also is just very good. I think Duck almost ruins it with that, to be honest. I'm just like, I, if I was Don, I'd be like, Duck, shut up. Just Well, I mean, I will say for the meme of it, it definitely is better with the crying and the good luck with your next meeting, depending on what you show <laughs> during the images. That's true. I got to I gotta look these up. I feel like we got to make this ourselves. It should be pictures. Yeah, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of potential with this meme. I'm surprised it kind of died out because there's a lot of potential with it. It's, it's just like, a picture of me and me and Will holding up our Gatorade bottles to each other. Yeah. <laughs> Mike eating what his is sandwich. <laughs> yeah. Also, it uh, it wasn't her. Um, I, I I was been googling it. It Thanks, was uh, Kate Powers. Kate Powers. Thank you for fact checking that. Um, and then I just had uh, one left because we already talked about the blank screen one. Oh yeah. So the scene where everybody is celebrating in Don's office uh, is a purposeful callback to the pilot, uh, which is a great like way. Like the season kind of bookends a bit with like the lucky strike pitch in the first episode, and then of course this you know pitch going so well in this episode, and uh, also like the way that Peggy and Joan. It's like a nice thing to catch to the way that like Joan is walking Peggy through the office in the first episode with her box, you know, and then in this episode we get to see Peggy go to her new desk that she's going to be spending a lot of time in, right? With that new character, that new fun character, then she's she's gonna be, you know, no no hiccups or anything. All the the hijinks that are about to ensue. My goodness. Yeah. What's your What's your prediction, Will Ashton? What do you think is gonna? Do you remember the what happens next in the show? In season two, or just yeah. beyond? Without giving it away for people who are listening and watching along. Uh, I mean, I remember one thing that happens to Dawn. Uh, I don't know if I've actually told this to Mike, but I've seen like fragments of season two. At a college party, told like you, it was Mike. just on the background. Goalposts. <laughs> <laughs> Will, why do you keep doing this to yourself, man? 
Well, I mean, I wasn't really paying attention. It was just like things right, that were going right. on in the background. <laughs> uh-huh. We're, we're going to be on season three and Will's going to be like, I did a dissertation on this episode. Yeah. Do you know so, that her office so mate I actually directed a Zodiac the Killer? Yeah. What was that? Do you know that her office mate becomes a Zodiac Killer? I mean, that would explain why he said, hi, my name's Ted Cruz. Nice to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Deep on the memes today. Yeah. Yeah. And that is The Wheel. Uh, great episode of Mad Men, one of the better ones, and uh, it has some of the best stuff that Mad Men has to offer. Some of the best Betty material, some of the be- one of the best pitches in the entire show, if not the best. Uh, yeah, do you guys are you guys believers? I feel like we're in agreement, right? Yeah, I mean, certainly these last two episodes, I think, really bring this season to a, a strong conclusion, especially given the kind of wobbly few episodes before it. In your opinion, you know, I mean, I obviously well, am not the biggest fan of Long Weekend, but I guess we'll talk about that yeah. in the next episode, right? Well, the next um, one comes out. Next episode of Bad Men Men. Sure. Uh, we'll uh, talk about, uh, we'll rank, we'll rank, a uh, ranking of kings is what we'll do. Sure. Mike, are you going to see Confess Fletch? Starring um, John? Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm a Haminator. I'll see anything my boy puts out. I mean, it's him and. Lucy in the Sky? Uh, did it have diamonds? No, the Lucy in the Sky, the one where uh, Natalie Portman wears a diaper and like, you know. No, she doesn't wear a diaper. Or she buys a diaper, but you never see her wear the diaper. It was a, a big point of contention. Yeah. In that film. I think it's implied, Will. Sure, but that was like the whole thing that they tried to like undersell when everyone was like, oh, so that's the diaper story. It's like, no, this is a serious <laughs> character. I, I didn't mean to wrinkle your, your feathers, Will Ashen. <laughs> no, but I mean, that's a show. It's another one that uh, was directed by a famous TV creator. Movie? Noah Haley, who made the... TV version of Fargo and Legion. Mike, what we're trying to say is, did you watch Lucy in the Sky? I did not watch Lucy in the Sky. Mm. What about Marjorie Prime? I did see Marjorie Prime. Okay. Are you just going to start good? quizzing me on, on movies? No. <laughs> what about a uh, million dollar arm? Uh, I can't. <laughs> okay, so literally, I, uh, I pirated million dollar arm, but the version I pirated it was literally all in a different language i think it was like all of it was in like i don't i actually don't is it indian i don't know what the actual language if it is anything why Uh, who would pirate million dollar arm you me when i lived in california with maxfield we watched (laughs) it and we used to watch it with subtitles and it watched the it was insane okay oh no i'm sorry that's what it was it wasn't a different language it just didn't have the subtitles for every one of those characters who didn't speak English, which is a lot of them. And so you had to like infer kind of what was happening and what they were thinking just based on uh, like their tone like of voice. Context clues? Okay. I'm learning so much uh, about so, you, Mike. I didn't know there was so much I, left to explore. I think that John Hamm's best work is his recent progressive ads. They're pretty good. Even better than Mad Men. I mean, uh, I don't know if you've heard, he was on the most recent episode of Comedy Bang Bang, and uh, Scott Ackerman asked him, like, why are you doing all these commercials? It's like, I have bills to pay. He's like, what bills do you have? (laughs) (laughs) All right. If you are a fan of Mad Men or Mad Men Men, uh, let us know what you think of the show. Uh, We want to hear from you, of course. Our email is in the show notes. Uh, I forget what it is off the top of my head. It's like Mad Men Men Pod. It's there. Um, But also, we're on Twitter. So, yeah, hit us up. If you have any thoughts on season one, now that we're moving into season two, or if you have your own ranking of the season one episodes, I'm curious what people have on their lists because I still have to put mine together. So it should be a fun discussion when we wrap up season one and we're doing it guys. We're making our way downtown faces past walking fast and we're, we're season seven bound um, for Mm. Mad Men. Lots of room to go. So 
See you all in the next one, I guess. Bye. All right. See you.